Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers, and we we did it! Again! We did it! We I finished feel like another we, season. We celebrate every time we actually finish something, which is... I mean... I guess apropos, I suppose, that we should celebrate our milestones. It's like, ah, oh, yes, now I can be tormented by Book of Boba Fett weekly instead of being tormented right. by Mandalorian weekly. Well, the only good thing about that is that we know that Book of Boba won't be as long as Bad Batch was, because I feel like that we really didn't comprehend how long 16 episodes is until you really start to do them each week that's 16 weeks of content like that's so like it goes on so much longer than you think and then eight is only half of that and that's just like that's still a ton of weeks that's eight weeks that's two months of you know what i mean like that's a lot it's also different if you're if you're analyzing it to the degree that we analyze it and think about it and like are constantly being reminded of it when we do the marketing and stuff like, I can see where if you watch Bad Batch and you watch it for 20 minutes and you're like, okay, you know, a fun show. I don't want to wait for next week. It's a slog. Right. Yada, yada, yada. When you're watching the episode, then recording an hour podcast, then listening to the hour podcast back, then making at the time three TikToks. We're now right. down to two animated TikToks because it was making me insane uh, trying to do three and you're like steeped in it then you look back on 16 weeks and you're like oh my god and even mando i'm i'm sitting here like this is now week 10 yeah good god good god we snuck in two bonus episodes this season so we we did (laughs) so we've really gone the extra mile (laughs) oh good god i was actually a co-worker today asked me because i was i was uh watching something on my phone uh, to prep for another episode, which behind the scenes, look, we recorded this in our Terrifying Tales bonus on the same evening. But when I was watching that, she kind of tapped me on the shoulder and she was like, hey, have you watched that uh, Mandalorian show? I kind of gave her this look like, oh, I watched the Mandalorian show. Never heard of it. What, 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 what is that? <laughs> That's what I should have done. I was like, they, they made a TV show? Yeah. They made like, a show about this? They made a show about Boba Fett? What? what's a boba boba fett boba fett where (laughs) before we dive into our recap somebody actually utilized our email which is really incredible yes we got an email uh i'm going to read sections of it on the air i'm not going to read the whole email out loud but this email was spent in response to some of the discussion we had i believe the discussion we had about the Nazi imagery that was used in the costume design in episode seven. I believe based on the timing when this we received this is what this is in response to. So Jane writes to us and says, I'm an ex-history teacher and I would love to add to your little chat on the elements of Nazi Germany seen in Star Wars. I mean, what can I say? It's everywhere, including the blatant use of stormtroopers as a term. She provides the German word, which I can't pronounce. You also mentioned they're not really seen in the First Order. Well, the whole speech Hux made was inspired directly from the rallies that Hitler would perform for the troops. She provides a website, which uh, I will have Bradley link in the show notes, 
and then says, I love what you do. Thanks for making a great space and I wish you the best. So yes, Jane, thank you so much for your email. As a history buff, this was delightful to get. Uh, Yeah, no, that was definitely something that I overlooked uh, when I was talking about it. Because if I'm remembering the context correctly, I said that a lot of those elements didn't transition directly over to the first order because i had sort of seen the first order as like modern shitty little fascist groups that would like co-opt the previous fascist iterations looks and aesthetics and try to keep that going but 100 percent, some of it definitely made into made its way into especially the huck speech like the huck speech gives me absolute chills just looking at it yeah it's all over one of the shots too, actually, the work of, oh, I forget her name. You wouldn't know this, Bradley, off the cuff. The propagandist filmmaker, the Nazi propagandist filmmaker. Like one of the shots they actually used in A New Hope. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, the shot where RTD2 is showing Leia yeah. on the hologram. No, it, yeah. No, it's the throne room. Yeah, the World War II inspiration is all over the original trilogy. It's definitely the design of the Empire, and it did transition over into the First Order. The article that I'm going to have Bradley link, the website's called Star Wars in the Classroom. I poked around it a little bit. Definitely a great resource for people who are looking. If you like our Aaron episodes, go poke around this website. That's what I'm going to say. So, Jane, thank you so much for writing in. I will definitely be playing around on this website myself as a history buff. But thank you so much for writing in and directing us to this resource. This week on The Thing Charles Fucked Up, I have to address the thing we fucked up real quick, or rather I fucked up, or rather it is a mis-conflating of things in my head. For production reasons, I was not able to listen back to the back half of our uh, Believer recap until after we had already recorded the episode eight with Steph. So I'm addressing something for the Believer now. I say Operation Sender was like eight or nine years ago. Uh, I was wrong. It was five. Uh, I was confusing it with the fact that Mandalorian takes place in nine years after the Battle of Yavin. Uh, okay. So it was actually five years ago because it was right after Return of the Jedi. So it's not as far away as I imply in that episode. I know that one of you pedantic fucking nerds is going to at me on Twitter and be like, you got the exact date wrong. This is me addressing that. <laughs> Do not at me. All right, let's dive into our recap. Bradley, do you have any like opening thoughts you want to share on just the Mandalorian season two overall before we dive into some of the specific talking points I have here? Um, yeah, so I think just overall in general, I think we elevated from season one for sure uh, in terms of both storytelling and kind of getting away from the monster of the week episode, which I what I'll call it is because I feel like in season one, we had a lot of, you know, they kind of were sticking to that theme of this is a Western and every episode is just like, here's the cowboy and going to do the thing. And then he rides off into the sunset at the end and then it's off to a new adventure versus this season kind of felt a little closer to they're really sticking to the overarching theme of the season versus 
the one-offs. I feel like this season only had one or two um, kind of standalones. And then the rest were all like mini story arcs. So it felt like it was a little bit of an elevation for this season. It definitely felt like they were starting to lay the groundwork for the overall direction that this sort of corner of the universe is going to take. Where bringing in 18,000 backdoor pilots, backdoor after backdoor after backdoor, I'm, I'm sure certain people were very jealous of the amount of backdoors that were slipped into the Mandalorian. No, with the with just with the amount of backdoor pilots and the amount of setting up like Bo Katan and what happened with Mandalore, and clearly that's going to be a big thing. Uh, it definitely felt like they were more trying to expand the scope of the show in this particular universe, which sort of begs the question: like looking at the way that this season has changed over time, what going back and looking at it now because I haven't I haven't seen this season since it premiered. Same. So going back, definitely some stuff changed for me. Mm-hmm. Bradley, looking back on it a second time, what changed in your perception of this season from watching it back then to the, the analyzing it now? So I think a very large factor um, in this uh, rewatch for me was having previously watched bad batch right before this um especially since we really dived into bad batch but i think one example i'll give is seeing fennec shand in bad batch versus seeing her in this whereas this was our first introduction to our second introduction to fennec shand but kind of a expansion on her versus the first season right we only got one episode with her in the first season she was barely in it i mean you know for to be fair And in this season, you know, she gets so much more to do. And then when we went and watched Bad Batch and she's got even more expanded on her character and, you know, I think it gave me a better appreciation for her in this season, even though I had already seen this. I think I went back and watched it with kind of like this, not rose colored lens, but a a new appreciation for her. And I think that like not I mean, I've always I, I like the character anyway, but now I love the character. So I'm excited to see, because we since we got the Book of Boba announcement, knowing that she's going to be essentially a main character in that show, instead of just a, a side character in this show. I, I don't know. I just I, I feel like so much more excited for that character. And I think that's one of the things that this season did for me the second time around was expand her better. And I was like, wow, this is a cool season to watch. Yeah, if you can kind of see where they're going with, okay, now we know about Book of Boba Fett. Now we know about the Ahsoka show. Mm -hmm. Now we know about some of this other stuff that happened. Like definitely for me, some of the choices that they made when I originally watched it was like, I was like, this is really bizarre. Like bringing Boba Fett back. I was super against bringing Boba Fett back. I thought like, there's nothing you can do with his character at this point. Uh, If you do bring him back, they're going to do that stupid thing. They did the legends where he like mellows out. Uh, and also like becomes Mandalore and, and that was really dumb but watching the season back and really digging into when he's on screen what that means what his role in the story is it got me a little more excited for Book of Boba Fett because I went oh they're actually doing things with this character that's very interesting or like the Luke Skywalker thing I did not like the Luke Skywalker thing as we know yeah. when he showed up 
watching it back and talking to Steph, uh, having time to have analyzed that and heard the different perspectives on that has changed the way that I see that scene. Because I no longer see it as, oh, it's Luke Skywalker. He's the greatest. He's here to save the day and remove all dramatic tension from this sequence whatsoever. You know, I don't see it that way anymore. I have a, a deeper appreciation for what's going on in that scene and Luke's heroism versus his arrogance that's eventually going to build up to what happens in the lead up to the sequel trilogy. So definitely something that changed for me was like just viewing it on a deeper level made me appreciate some of the choices they made that I originally thought were super bizarre or watching things back and like taking the series as a whole, as opposed to getting episode by episode every week, uh, definitely threw some things into a little more relief, like the Bo-Katan, how they slowly peel back the layers of Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. where she's one way in the heiress and then we get into the rescue and more things start to peel back of what she's really like right it's like hmm, hmm this lady may be a problematic fave actually like when i realized she was doing the darth vader bad guy intentions pose i was like oh dear yeah but yes. funny enough that almost makes me like her more um because you because know? we stand a lady villain I love lady villains. As, as gay men, for whatever reason, we love lady villains. I know. We love them so much. Like, I can't explain it. But yeah, I'm the same way. Ever since I realized, oh shit, they might be building up Bo-Katan into a villain. It kind of makes me like her more. Right. And like Finnick Shand at the end when she does her underworld swig from the bottle and you're like, oh man, this lady's actually like a pirate kind of made me be like i have decided to stand you even harder and i was already standing you pretty fucking hard i will say the one thing that this season really did was make the women characters of this show 10 times cooler than they already were they expanded on every female character this season and made them better like i feel like we didn't get a lot in the first season um we only really had one character in the first season and even you know, the other, I, I would say, like, I think it's the shrimp farming episode. We get the one female character, uh, mm-hmm. side character. She's not really, you know, she doesn't really, do they hint at her being like a badass? Like, cause there's the scene where she can shoot stuff and nobody else can shoot. Yeah, you know? they sort of, they sort of hint at it and it's like presented in the episode as, oh, this is a surprise, right. which we talked about. It's like, we come into that with our real world perceptions and we don't expect it, but in universe, it makes absolutely no sense that. Mm-hmm. it's treated this way it's yeah the one thing that Steph brought up that I really appreciated that Steph brought up was that in Dave Filoni's works you're allowed to have female characters throughout the good and bad spectrum mm-hmm. so you have characters like Cara Dune who is unreservably on Mando's side right there's very little conflict there as far as where her loyalties lie her loyalties are too mando uh you could have somebody like finnick shand who's in the middle they're to democracy to the republic did i do that backwards wait did i say that backwards you did say that backwards to the republic (laughs) to democracy (laughs) or you can have a character like you know bo katan who's heavily Mm -hmm. hinted to be a villain or like even the comms officer the unnamed comms officer right and if you look across the animated work, that is something that 
even as far back as the Clone Wars, you had Ahsoka Tano as basically the the co-protagonist of the show with Rex. And then Asajj Ventress is one of the main villains. This season definitely featured a lot of really awesome female characters doing awesome things. Even like Pelimoto, even a character that's not like, oh, she can fire guns and fight really well. Still like a, a badass, amazing character right. in her own right. And I did really love that about this season, especially compared to the last one. Well, I hope characters like Pelimoto become a staple for the show. I mean, I like we do have our theories that this next season is the last season, but I yes. want I want to say that like I hope that at least the character of Pelimoto is a running theme throughout all these different shows that are in this era. You know what I mean? Like maybe she doesn't necessarily show up in, you know, or may, or maybe Mando season three is the last season. Let's just, for argument's sake, let's just say that's true. And then maybe she shows up one time in that, but maybe she also shows up in Book of Boba. Maybe she also shows up in the Ahsoka Book of show. Boba is set on Tatooine. That's what I'm saying. So maybe there's room for like just characters like her to just kind of be those kind of not Easter eggs, but just reoccurring things that keep the connective tissue to all these different shows other than it being Star Wars. Just being like, oh, like here's a character that'll show up in every single season of every show. And I do think that's part of the importance of making sure you're you're maintaining diversity in these properties. You know, when it comes to your queer characters, characters of color, uh, characters that aren't necessarily cishet white men, you know, it's important to make sure that they feel, the universe feels populated with those types of characters. So not even having very prominent characters, which you should, that are very diverse, but making sure even just the secondary characters that are showing up like Pelimoto or like have characters in the background that are established in the context of the show to be queer characters. It takes one line of dialogue. It is not hard. Resistance writers and producers, I'm still mad about Flix and Orca. And I'm especially mad about Flix and Orca because that is fresh in my brain for reasons we will get to at the end of the episode. I'm but- kind of hoping too, like characters like Flix and Orca show up in other property. Like, because now that they've they've went out and said, like, hey, this is a thing. First on-screen canon queer couple, and they never acknowledge it in the show, which is something that when I look at, like, the way background characters need to be kind of seeded into the, into the world, then is something that I think the show does need to take just a single minute to say, these characters are explicitly husbands. You know, see, making sure we're seeing these characters. But it is nice to looking at Mando, see that a little bit in the show and in the properties going forward. That's part of the reason I like how diverse the casting is for the sequel trilogy in terms of the way they do their background extras. Because it's important to know this world is populated with all different types of people. It's not just cishet white men. There is a, a transition there that I want to piggyback off what you said about show Pelimoto showing up in Book of Boba and continuing on beyond this. What do we think is going to come up in season three and Book of Boba as far as what we saw in this season? So I have a weird theory about that too, because I think... Do you? So here's my thing. I think that I obviously, we don't know anything at this point, but by the time this comes out, we still don't know anything about Book of Boba. I want to say that I think that Book of Boba is unofficially the third season of Mandalorian. And then Mandalorian season 
four, I'm putting that in quotations because it's technically season three, is the last season of Mandalorian. So just like episode eight, I am happy to confirm that you are mostly correct. They have said Book of Boba is not Mando season three and that it's not necessarily directly continuing the story of Din Djarin, but they have described it as Mando season 2.5. Right. So it it's still like related to that story, but you can kind of... It's not like a direct continuation of that story. It's almost like you can skip it if you wanted to, but you shouldn't because it's a but fun why would you, know, you do that? Right, exactly. If they do their job with it right, and make it good. Yeah, um, moving forward, I, you know, I, what do I think uh, might happen? Um, yeah, if, if it does, I would, I would hope that it does take place on Tatooine and stay there. I mean, I know that we've said that um, with the Mandalorian in the past, like, you know, it's kind of a slog to go back to Tatooine, right? Because it's kind of like, okay, we get it. Like Luke was born here. There are other Anakin desert planets. Here. Right. And it's fine. It's cute and all. I will say this season's Tatooine episode was phenomenally better than the first season, even though they were both good. I think that this one, the Marshall, was 10 times stronger of an episode than the Tatooine episode of season one. I genuinely loved I the would Marshall. 100% agree with that. But yeah, I, I, I think that because Book of Boba is taking place on Tatooine, I'm going to say Daddy Marshall Cobb Vanth will show up in Book of Boba. Um, why wouldn't he if he's on Tatooine? I, and Pelimoto, I think, would also show up because, again, why wouldn't she if they're they both f- on Tatooine? They've taken a lot of pains to set up these side characters on Tatooine of Pelimoto, yeah. Cobb Vanth, the Sand People. Mm-hmm. They've they've done a lot of work setting this up to not have them play prominent roles in it, especially Cobb Vanth, and not just because I want Daddy to come home. Right. You know, I I think it would be interesting to have. Boba meet him, especially considering like who Cobb Vanth is as a character, mm-hmm. what he was wearing the armor for versus why Boba does it and who he is as a character. I definitely think that like there's room for Cobb Vanth and Pelimoto in Book of Boba. I I do think as far as season three goes, we're obviously gonna the myth arc of the show seems to be this like what happened to Mandalore and mm-hmm. what is going to happen to Mandalore and where we're going with that. Uh, I think with the the breaks having been pumped on doing anything directly tied to the New Republic, that we may see a little more focus in season three on like the Bo-Katan plot Mm -hmm. and what's going on. I do feel like, like I had heard this and I'd said it in a previous episode, I do feel like there's going to be some sort of major change at the end of the third season. They're going to keep the cast and they're going to kind of retool the show into something else. So the dynamic will upset and they right. will, and that may set a precedent too uh, for mm-hmm. Star Wars properties going forward, that you may have a continuation of something that's not necessarily a sequel to something. I always tell people this whenever I talk about shows and seasons of shows, you can kind of go back and look at other TV shows as examples. But what I like to tell people is that the third season of any show is always your experimental season. Um, you can basically get away with doing just about anything in the third season because by this point in in classic TV world, right, you're already probably renewed 
for a fourth season if you've gotten to the third season. Just because hey, you guys remember when we watched TV <laughs> at like specific times of the day, like like they weren't all on a streaming platform. Like you, if you wanted to watch the episode, you had to be in your friend's basement at seven o'clock on a Thursday. Like, do y'all remember? Bradley, you may be too young for this. I don't know. He said, knowing full well, Bradley's not that much younger than he is. Well, I just, well, what I mean is that like, you know, like with now on Netflix, you know, of course, like they're going to, they're going to make the whole first season. Right. And then regardless of people, if they like it or not, they've already made the first season. So it's kind of done and one and done and in the mm-hmm. can. And then, you know, Netflix kind of has this thing and Hulu and all of them have this thing where they go, well, if it's even meagerly popular, like, oh, well, we have enough money to make a second season. Let's just go ahead and do it. And then from there, then they go, well, let's not, let's not move forward with this project anymore because it's just not as profitable as some of our other stuff, which are clearly getting like season four or season five. Um, And I think with Mando, because it's, not because it's the only Star Wars show, but because it was, they're clearly more successful than, not that they planned, but clearly like it's doing a good job. It exploded. It absolutely exploded. I think it proved the thirst for Star Wars television content, which back in the day wasn't necessarily there. I mean, I feel like fans still wanted it, but you couldn't do it justice maybe. Um, the technology just wasn't there. It and just wasn't part of there. The reason, yeah. That's part of the reason Star Wars Underworld never came to fruition. Right. Because Lucas felt like the technology just wasn't there to do everything that he wanted to do for that show, which is why they just kept never making it, never making it, never making it. And Clone Wars is kind of amazing going back and watching it now. Clone Wars is basically, they made the show and they kept pushing the bounds of what their animation could do. Like at the end of the third season, they wrote an entirely new program just Mm -hmm. from scratch to put bugs on the trees. Like they were like, the technology for this doesn't exist. Let's make it. Yeah. I think another thing too, way back when we talked about uh, rescue on Ryloth with Chris from dark side divas, we talked about like dumping something on all at once versus releasing it episodically. I said then, and I'll repeat now, I genuinely believe, like genuinely think that one of the reasons Mandalorian latched on as hard as it did is because it released episodically mm-hmm. week to week. And the, it allowed people to have a cultural conversation around it as opposed to releasing something and then it's done. It's out there. You have to think pieces about it for maybe a few weeks, uh, but you're not really that invested because you it's designed to be benched. Consume the content, move on to the next content. They didn't do that with Mandalorian. They got, it was week to week to week. And these things, if you guys are new to Star Wars somehow, first of all, welcome. Second of all, I am so sorry that you have to listen You've worked your way through this show. Uh, talking to one person in particular, hope your dog's having fun on his walk, by the way. But if you weren't participating in the Mandalorian discussion that was happening at the time, this thing is this thing is like rapid fire all week. It's articles and tweets and things mm-hmm. are blasting out. And I really think because people are talking about experiencing it as a group, 
that helps a lot. The moment that Baby Yoda first dropped and the internet fucking lost their minds right. over this thing is a major moment in pop culture history. Like, I'll use the example of, um, so currently in this timeline, um, in this world right now, you know, the, the new thing or the current thing is Squid Games on Netflix. Which but, I haven't watched, full disclosure. Which I, I have not either, but I still I know what it is. I run a Star Wars podcast. I don't have time. But, but here's the thing. I still know what it is. I still generally know a good chunk of information about the show without even having seen it. Um, all because of just the conversation around it, right? And the memes and the, you know, just the TikToks about it and everything, right? But here's the issue is I can already see the decline. It's already going away. So the problem with releasing it on Netflix all at once is you don't have that, what they used to call the water cooler conversation, which was you go to work and you talk about the show that was on that night. And if you didn't see it and you missed out, you were like, oh shit, I can't watch it until it comes out on fucking DVD in three months from now. Or it goes on reruns and I happen to catch it on reruns. Right. No, I definitely like looking at it from the perspective of, of a TV producer, uh, like a like a showrunner. If you're wanting to make sure that people are talking about your show, you want to have that water cooler conversation. And it's something that Ben shows kind of lose. Mm-hmm. And it's something that when you release it episodically like this, it helps keep that water converse- cooler conversation. Because if you're talking about a show that has 10 episodes and they all drop at once, the water cooler conversation is going to be basically like a movie. Right. Where, hey, did you see the thing? Uh, here's what I thought of the thing. You're going to get a couple, of, maybe a week or two out of conversation of it. The internet's going to go longer because that's what the internet does. Right. Whereas The Mandalorian, when season season one came out, I was, uh, I was working at a physical location at the time. And I remember I would come into work and there was another coworker of mine that was really into The Mandalorian. And we would talk about it every week. We talk about where do we think it's going to go? Hell, deeper, the fucking genesis of this podcast yeah, was Bradley, you and I would talk about, well, I mean, we talked about like Star Wars way before this, but with Mando, it was constant. Right. Like the text messages were flying back and forth like daily. And that's when we started talking about, well, maybe we should actually do a podcast because we're both entertainment people. We know how to make stuff. Maybe we right. should do things. Maybe we should do something with this. Maybe we should just record ourselves talking about Star Wars instead of just texting each other about it. <laughs> All day, every day. Uh, but yeah, it's that type of watercolor conversation. And it's something that like the releasing it on that schedule has allowed Mando to seep into the culture and have a lot of staying power. Right. And the other nice thing is that it can survive... The nice thing about Star Wars being the way it is, as opposed to like Game of Thrones, right? So Game of Thrones issue was it was the big cultural thing for like a decade. And then the ending bombed hard, bombed hard. And it just disappeared, which is amazing. Looking at just how huge it was, even when the final season was coming out, it was slightly on the decline. Star Wars is partially nice because you can have something come out that's a little bit controversial or something come out that's not received that well, but that's fine because there's this other thing coming out that's different. 
I don't know. It's it's interesting to talk about Mandalorian in the context of the general TV zeitgeist and how it works. I think it's unique in how it handles it and how people talk about it. Also, the mask memes are very funny in 2021. Uh, you know, I'd really, um, I'd really be curious to see. Like, I don't know if you've seen it um, on. I think it's on Netflix uh, or um, Hulu, but it's the CNN documentaries on um, the decades. And there's one on um, the 2000s. And the first two episodes of the CNN documentary on the 2000s are purely about television and its effect on the decade. And how the 2000s, the early 2000s, really that's when true, I, I believe, true television really took off um, because that's where you get the major, major shows that changed the way we watch TV. And, you know, you have things like The Sopranos and Sex and the City and like all those like classic, classic and Lost and stuff like that. Like things that people would talk about constantly. And I think that we're living in this new age now of the streaming. And I'd be curious to see like, you know, in 10 years, like a documentary about like, you know, Disney plus and Netflix and all that stuff and how like that changed how we kind of watch stuff and their old classic content that got turned into TV shows. Yeah. And like, I, I lived through the early 2000s. So I remember when that, when sh certain shows were airing, like it was one of the first times in, in the history of TV that you could get a show that you would water cooler to the degree that you would do it. So you look at shows that were in the 80s, 90s, you would maybe talk about, did you see the episode of this? But especially when, when more serialized content started coming in, that would have been one of the big changes. And I think it was around the early, late 90s, early aughts that serialized stuff really picked up. I remember like, and I'm, I'm gonna admit this to my great shame, Bradley. I'm. I'm going to confess something about myself here on the air, but I was very big into Supernatural when I was in high school. I mean, to be fair, I still watch Supernatural. So, uh, All five seasons of Super... I watched all five seasons of Supernatural. <laughs> I think I think they're on 15 now. Uh, all five seasons of Supernatural. <laughs> well, because I remember that show was one of the first times that... I had an experience where it was something that a friend of mine and I watched together. Uh, and every week, you know, we would talk about it. This was before I really discovered like the internet. I was on fan boards for thing for certain things, but we didn't really have like social media in the way we have it now where everything is a conversation all of the time. Right. But just internally in my own little ecosystem, that was something that I made time for to watch every week. And we'd talk about it, not just in the sense of, did you see the last episode, but the series overall. Mm. And like, we would wait for the DVD releases to come out and things like that. Whereas nowadays, you know, that's, that's something that's just kind of taken as granted mm -hmm. that shows are going to be like that. And I think something Mandalorian does really, really well, especially in its second season, looking back on it, is it really leaned into the water cooler conversation and being like the type of thing that you can talk about and had staying power after the fact. 
that you could go back and talk about the season because now people associate those memories with that. So one thing I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about like kind of predictions and stuff like that. So in the uh, in episode zero, I talked about um, Luke a little bit. Uh, we didn't talk too much about him, but I did a little bit. I I talked about how it was odd or we could we thought it was odd that this season ended with what we would consider a series finale, not a season finale. Right. By introducing Luke and, you know, something that is like almost taboo, right? Like we don't introduce characters from the original movie in your Star Wars content now because they're sacred characters, right? You don't want right. to use them to, because that's kind of like almost the nail in the coffin for a show, right? If you kind of bringing back these things, I, I guess a good example would be, I think in the final season of Rebels or one of the final seasons, um, I think they bring in, you know, Leia and Lando. Leo get Lando's in the first season of Rebels. Leia gets a random episode in the second season. Okay. But when you're introducing those characters, and especially in this timeline where Rebels takes place right before the original movie, you know, you're kind of like going, hey, our show's kind of coming to an end because here's this character that's in the OG thing. And so I think when they introduce Luke, at first, I thought, okay, this clearly means the show is over or it's getting over because they're introducing this Luke character. However... I'm putting on my tinfoil hat. Oh boy. Don't mess up your perfectly coiffed hair. (laughs) I don't think you're going to like where I'm going with this. um, I mean, I I don't like you in general. So, (laughs) so here's the thing, putting on my tinfoil hat. I genuinely believe that uh, Mando has handed Grogu over to Luke. God, I hate you so fucking much. <laughs> I fucking hate you. You annoying little fucking twig. No, don't even start with this fucking Luke clone Joris Cabal bullshit. You Let can't even read, it. you dumb motherfucker. Let me defend You can't it. even put the words together on the page. You don't even know shit about... No, I will gatekeep the shit out of this for you specifically. Fuck you for bringing this up. Let me, let me, let me defend it slightly because here's the thing. Oh, here we go. I think the general theme that we have been hinting at in this season is the idea of they're clearly setting up Snoke, right? Like they're kind of, it has to be Snoke. Like, I don't really know what other thing they could be setting up with the whole M counts and the blood. And then we see the clearly the, you know, the ugly looking kind of strand casts or clones or something being made in the vats at one point. And then even in Bad Batch, we kind of got a a hint of that, right? We saw like there was some kind of cloning thing going on and they kind of hinted at the Kaminoans uh, in the mountain later on in the finale. And so I'm thinking like all this is leading up to Snoke, right? Or at least in the background, it's leading up to Snoke. The rise of the First Order in general, yes. Right. And so I think like if you were ever gonna do a dumbass luke storyline like this would be the time to do it because why the fuck not first of all because who cares at this point like just do it and then two you can make our uh new favorite stand-in just be luke without being like well he doesn't look exactly like luke well that's because it's not exactly luke 
It's his mm. evil twin. On the one hand, treating this genuinely try, genuinely seriously, um, which blood is absolutely oozing out of uh, my mouth from how hard my teeth are clenched having to do that <laughs> with this stupid, ridiculous theory. On the one hand, I kind of dislike it because I like the picture that this Luke's appearance paints of where he is as a character now. I think that him showing up and, and showing where we are in the timeline, because this really wasn't hasn't been explored that well, especially this point in the timeline, because in Aftermath, he's barely in Aftermath. He's like just fucked off to do something and nobody knows where he is or they know where he is, but he's like, he's not involved in this. I like the glimpse of where he is at this point, And we see the, the continuation of Return of the Jedi and the hints of what's going to eventually lead to the events of Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Uh, on the other hand, I do like the idea of a bunch of shitty fanboys making posts about how this is the real Luke Skywalker that we <laughs> deserved, and then it turns out to not be Luke. How funny would that I be? I kind of love that. Like, unironically, I would love the reaction to it. I don't know. I I would like them to bring him back, mm-hmm. just maybe briefly again as, as things escalate. I would love to see him in the Ahsoka show even briefly, just because I would love for Ahsoka to meet Luke. That's just a personal thing. I really wish they would just let Maxley Jones play him. Well, that's my that's kind of like my thought process, right? Like at this point. Yeah, it was cute that they did the finale with, you know, uh, Mark Hamill's face and they tried the little, you know, semi-deep fake. But let's... It's the Mark Hamill voice, which is arguably cooler. Right. But let's just go ahead and just, if you're gonna either either recast him completely and just say, let's let Max lloyd Joe's do it, right? Like, he's just Luke Skywalker now. Like, that's just it. That He's young. We'll call him young Luke Skywalker to differentiate him. Young Luke Skywalker. And then that do that or say explicitly like no this is not luke this is his clone and that's why he's slightly different or whatever and then you can just like make you can still do luke storylines without doing luke because you can just say that this is just another version of him i i liked that they recast han solo and uh lando calrissian for the solo movie right and i like that disney has been sort of trying to divorce the role the characters from the actors mm-hmm. because i think if you're looking at at these characters they are very strong characters and a lot of what made us love them is embodied by the actors who originally played them but it's also interesting to see other actors take a spin at it yeah uh, particularly aiden doing a great job of sort of putting a new spin on han solo I suspect we'll probably see Luke again, but briefly, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the show is going anymore. This was my whole series arc that I thought was going to happen. And yeah, this was truly the end of the show, at least for now. Um, There may be more to Den's story that they could tell. I just don't know how they're going to do it without Grogu. See, that's my, my issue with the story is that you've taught, you've intrinsically tied the character of Din Djarin to the child to the point where if you were to separate him completely, like let's just, let's just say for argument's sake, Grogu does not show up again in this show. 
it would feel one wrong and it would feel weird. And I actually think they would alienate their audience if they did that, because he's just in, he's just intrinsically tied to the character at this point. It's his father and son kind of dynamic. If you were to say like, if you end the show with them together and they walk off into the sunset and it's like, he just raises him until Din dies and then Grogu goes and finds Ray and you know, whatever later on, then that's fine. And they need to do that because Grogu clearly will live way longer than Din will ever be alive. But <laughs> you know, it's just, you know why he, you know why he's saying that listeners, you know who he's saying they'll alienate. They'll alienate the fucking twink with the wall of baby Yoda behind him when he records these episodes. <laughs> That's who he's concerned about is the wall and wall. Like, like listeners, I, I cannot, I wish I could show you. And someday we will show you when Bradley records these episodes, he has a Mandalorian Funko pop wall behind him and he has a whole shelf devoted just to baby Yoda. <laughs> So we all know who would really be mad. Before, as we close out our, our Mando season two, uh, I want to revisit one final time our episode rankings. And I want to go over them one more time. I've sat and thought about it for a while and why each episode is where it is in our ranking. So Bradley, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Should we start from the bottom? Uh, I was going to start from the bottom. Okay, good. Okay, so our, our my least favorite episode still it has not changed is the siege uh my least favorite is also the siege fun episode theme park episode right not a whole lot going on there and the attempt at trying to go deeper is uh muddled slightly um next up i have the passenger also had the passenger little more character to this one and more interesting like design and stuff Mm -hmm. like the siege felt very back to basics rebel empire thing correct the passenger at least like did something weird with its detour love frog lady so you know love frog lady not a slight to frog lady but deeper we stand d bradley baker i mean we we stand d bradley baker in this house um up next i have the tragedy i had the believer you know i keep going back and forth on this and i know that we're both they're tight they're, they're, they're so close. They're and so when close. we get to the tragedy for me, I'll, I'll say why it's, it's where it is. But for me, the believer had one, the one really amazing scene with Mayfield. Yeah. Like just absolutely knocked that scene out of the park, but a lot of wasted potential in the rest of the episode for me, which kind of put it a little bit under, I thought okay. they could have done more with the ladies. I thought they could have done just a tad more with Boba Fett, even just in the auxiliary, the way that other episodes did. I thought they were just kind of there, especially the ladies, given the concept art, that there was more they could have done with them in that episode. So my next one is The Believer. And mine is The Tragedy. (laughs) Okay, cool. I think for me, what puts this one above is there's another, there's several other good character moments, Mm -hmm. but this was the one that turned me around on Boba Fett. And it's entirely the devil in the details of his dialogue and the way Tam delivers it, Mm. I think puts it slightly above the believer for me, just because it had a further road. It had a higher bar to clear to clear than the believer did. And it cleared it. Gotcha. Um, My next one is actually the finale with the rescue. Same. Okay. I thought, um, yeah, this, this had good, finale moments and yes it did have the 
essentially the Rogue One moment uh, at the very end with Luke Skywalker. Uh, I, I don't think it had enough of a finale. I mean, yes, it was good. I just don't think it was enough to be in my top three. The the plot threads kind of dangled a bit for me. Uh, the episode was almost kind of hoist by its own petard in terms of the grandness of, mm-hmm. of where it ended. I mean, in hindsight, this one might rise a bit just because once we see where it's going in the overall series and setting it up. Right. But for now, it, it does a really good job of tying off what it needs to tie off in the season, leaving a few things open. But I do feel like some of those things could have been tied off a little bit better. Um, next up. Okay, so now we're done. We're into our top three. We're into this our is, top three. Let's go. So this is where it gets hard because, God, I have so many emotions. Um, okay. So number three, I have the Marshall. And the emotions for this one are horny. Yes. <laughs> no, um, actually, I, I thought the Marshall for a season two premiere episode, this was arguably like, I mean, it was such a good episode. Like just for a premiere, it was very exciting. There's never a dull moment in the episode. I, I can't think of one at this moment. If, if they're not having some interesting action, or some interesting creature, then they're having some sort of character moment or some sort of world building moment to an area of Tatooine, a familiar planet, right. an aspect of it in the sand people that we've never seen before. So the Marshall is my third as well, yeah. just because it, it could have been a detour episode, but it does not feel like a detour episode in the slightest. Right. Um, and then for number two, I have the heiress. I also have the heiress for number two. And that's purely just, I think that introducing Bo-Katan and Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan in live action, it just, it just did it for me. Like there's just so much that they did well with this. I think it's just too good. Uh, Just beautiful. Just seeing the Bo-Katan armor in live action. I love water planets. I thought the corn was interesting. Uh, I love the little corn with his fisherman cap that was pointed out to me after we recorded the episode. (laughs) I got so mad when someone pointed that out. I was like, I would have mentioned that. And I liked how, how that episode was in and out and knew what it was doing. That one and the tragedy, I think both of them were in and out and they knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't linger. They didn't you know, wander off the beaten path at all. They knew exactly what they were about and we definitely got it. Also, once again, just love seeing Bo-Katan's armor in live action. Oh, it's so, it's so pretty. Um, and then, of course, my favorite episode of the whole entire season was The Jedi. Oh, God. The backdoor pilot was my favorite episode. <laughs> God, that episode. The writing, the acting, the production design, the music the action, the white lightsabers, <laughs> costuming. How do you get an episode that right? I, I think it was truly, I, I will give it to, um, it is Dave Filoni really kind of being handed, like, here's, you know, here's a free episode. Do what you want, essentially, is what happened. Like, it doesn't have to connect to the overall plot. It doesn't have to do with that stuff if you don't want it to. He did it a does. little bit. It, it, winds, up, yeah, it yeah. winds up doing it. But, and he's, it does set, set up other episodes. 
but he didn't have to at all. He, he genuinely, it could have been a complete detour episode and not have connected in any way whatsoever other than Mando landing on the planet and Mando leaving the planet, right? Like it could have just stuck with that. Like she points him to the rock and like we learn Grogu's name exactly. and she points him to the rock and that's the effect on the overall plot. Right. But like, again, like with the Marshall, it could easily be a detour episode, but it doesn't feel like one. Doesn't feel like it. Doesn't feel like it at all. And everything from the the large scale way the episode is designed in terms of its overall narrative down to the tiny details on the droid's helmets. Mm-hmm. Like everything in this episode was, it's like eating a really well-crafted meal by someone who loves cooking. And you can taste it in everything that they cook. It's like that. <laughs> to go off your cooking uh, example, I would say this is the scene in Ratatouille where he takes a bite of the Ratatouille and sees his childhood. Um, yes. That's essentially what happened here when we watched this episode. We took a bite of the Ratatouille and then we got to see Ahsoka in live action, which I genuinely think was just people. I mean, we knew that it was happening but we didn't know what to expect from it. And I think we saw our childhoods essentially when we bit into this episode. <laughs> Had I seen this episode in 2009, I definitely would have changed my tune on Ahsoka yeah. a-, a lot faster than I actually did change my tune on Ahsoka. Just a wonderful, and like Din didn't get sidelined in favor of her at all. Like, Den got character development. She got character development. Grogu got character exploration. It's just a beautiful, absolutely, it's magnificent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cannot wait for the Ahsoka show. All right. Do we have any final thoughts on The Mandalorian Season 2? My only one, I'll say here's a disappointment with the season. Just the one thing I felt like we didn't get was I didn't get to see the armor again. And that was one thing I was missing. Fingers, fingers crossed we will see more Mandalorians in season three. That's yeah. something that I am really hopeful for. Yeah. Um, I want to see the deprogrammed Dan come back right. into contact with Mandalorians and have that deprogramming challenged. Which yeah, I think that would be that would be the scene. Essentially him facing the armor again, or maybe like even just a silly, like he turns around and he happens to have his helmet off and he sees the armor and then she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he kind of reverts, you know? I think that would be an interesting... I, I would like them to continue the deprogramming storyline and, and thematic line that has gone through this series, but that is something that we will find out in a while. <laughs> Uh, one year from now, probably. One like, year from now, fingers crossed. Yeah, let's see. It's October now as we record this of 2021. So probably December of 2022 is when we'll even remotely have an idea of what's going to happen. Because we've got Book of Boba, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Bad Batch Season 3, and Season 2, and Andor before Mandalorian Season 3. So yeah, next we got a lot year to cover. be lit. Which, which segues me nicely into uh, the next few months, or the next few weeks, rather, or the next month and a half or so, uh, Gold Squadron Gaze is going to be doing a few little one-off episodes. Uh, we're not going to cover anything, we're going to quote-unquote review anything uh, the way that we generally do. 
we've got a few kind of one-off plans i am going to disneyland for the first time in november so we're going to do an episode on that we're going to cover disney plus day i've got some high republic stuff uh that i have finally bullied bradley into allowing me to do so look forward to that our book of boba coverage is going to start right after christmas we're going to go jump into it with an episode zero and before then we're going to be doing some additional content so keep an eye out on that i also have a announcement as far as uh hot men doing star wars things by which i mean me i'm doing star wars things i saw that eye roll bradley I know because at time of recording this, I am sick and do not look great. But I promise you, viewers, er, listeners, I, I am attractive. No, I was actually uh, had the honor to be invited to come on to another show. It was our first one of us got to go on to another show. So I'm not 100% sure on the timing of it. Either going to come out the week that this episode comes out or it's going to come out like a week after. Not 100% sure, but I was on a show called Jaguys and Jedi. They do Star Wars animation deep dives. Uh, they've done Clone Wars and Rebels in the past, and they just finished watching all of Resistance. So Hope and Chris, who are the co-hosts of that, invited me on to talk about Star Wars Resistance, which is a thing that we don't talk about on this show. <laughs> um, because otherwise, Bradley and I will fight about it for an hour. <laughs> no, they brought me on to talk about it and kind of the series as a whole and what are the themes in it that we really liked, what resonates with us. Uh, it was a very funny episode. It got very deep at times, uh, but it was a great time overall. Definitely check out Jaguys and Jedi. I boost it every week on our Twitter anyway, because uh, I try to retweet podcast with lgbt hosts uh, or lgbt themed podcast onto our twitter feed so definitely keep an eye out for the episode that i am going to be in if you want to hear me slag off bradley while he's not around and i think that is it bradley do you have anything else before we exit this mando season two recap at least until someone points something out that i messed up in this until book of boba yep we'll see you guys for whatever the fuck we're doing the next episode <laughs> y- yes. think of the children think of the twinks guys think of the twinks <laughs>